Before we open up God's Word this morning, let us pray together. Lord, I am so thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be joining together on campus and those joining with us online. Lord, I just sense an extra special presence this morning. And I say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for always being faithful and always being true. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, Lord, that it would be so convicting on our hearts and our souls. Lord, that we would recognize that every time we open up your word, there is a demand for a response. And Lord, I pray that every day that we spend time with you and as you dwell with us, Lord, that response would be greater trust and faithfulness to you. Lord, you are worthy of all praise and honor. And so, Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we would do just that. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19, Revelation 19, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 16 this morning. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to a page 1142, 1142. Over the past uh, several weeks, we've been walking through a sermon series called Advent. We've been uh, looking at, uh, really, the word Advent talks about the, uh, the arrival of something or someone. We know that arrival is Jesus Christ, and so all this anticipation uh, building up to uh, the coming of our Lord and Jesus. Uh, and we looked at reasons why he came. And I hope you are able to begin tracing that amazing thread uh, from where we've been studying. Uh, for an example, our, the first message we looked at in the book of Romans was talking about the fact that Jesus came uh, to display the glory of God. And the way that he does that is he shows that God is faithful, that God is merciful, and that it is Jesus himself that brings hope to the world. The second t time we met in this Advent teaching series is we looked at another reason why Jesus came, and that is to uh, really execute the very mission of God. Uh, that, that hope has a life, right? The life that Jesus Christ gives us and the realization that he comes to reveal the grace of God to us, to the world. Uh, he comes to those who have nothing to offer. He comes to those who are in bondage to sin. He comes to those who are deceived and are broken, those who are hurting. And we learned in that next teaching time that in 1 John 3, it tells us that, that Jesus came to take away our sins and to destroy the works of the devil. Praise God. And then on Christmas Eve, we looked at the fact that Jesus is God's inexpressible gift to us. We cannot fully comprehend, fully put into words the beauty of the true gift of Christmas in Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son. And then on Christmas Day, it seems like a long time ago, but a week ago, Many of you sat right here or joined with us online and we looked at how Jesus came to serve. He came to serve, not be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about how Jesus served. He served in his humility. He served in his suffering. 
And this morning, as we conclude our Advent series, uh, we are going to look at the second coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And I pray and I hope that especially for those of us who are followers of Christ, the second coming of Jesus will bring you tremendous hope, tremendous assurance, and tremendous joy. In fact, the first song that we sung this morning was what? Joy to the world. If I'm not mistaken, that the original hymn was written by a man uh, by the name of Isaac Watts in the 1700s. And did you know that that uh, hymn, uh, taken from the Psalms, uh, was written primarily not for the first advent, when Jesus was born on Christmas Day, but really pointing us to what? The second advent, when Jesus comes again. So as we sing that song, and it's good to sing it on, for Christmas, but it's also very helpful, helpful to our souls to sing it and be reminded uh, that hope is coming again. So it's not just the joy of Christmas based on the events of the past, but it's the joy of Christmas based on the future events to come. The second coming of Jesus is central, central to our understanding of the gospel message itself. In fact, if you survey the Old Testament, what you'll find is uh, 36 out of 46 prophets speak about the second coming of Christ. There are at least 1,527 Old Testament passages that refer to the second coming of Christ. For every uh, content that deals with the first coming of Jesus, there are eight that deal with the second coming of Jesus. So an eight to one ratio. Approximately one third of all Bible prophecy is about what? The second coming of Jesus. And in our passage this morning, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John gets an amazing vision of the second coming of Christ. And what he sees is quite astounding. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to read the passage together, and then we'll begin to uh, unpack it uh, together as well. So we begin in Revelation uh, chapter 19. And just as a side note, uh, it, it's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of one, one Revelation, the revelation that God gave to John, right? And now that we have it. So uh, it's a little tidbit, but it's important that it's the book of Revelation. Verse 19, verses 11 through 16, the scripture says, Then I saw, so John is speaking, he says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and that... And by the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think it's a shame that even for followers of Christ, we forget this side of Jesus. And so this may be hard scripture to chew on, to uh, meditate on, but it is this scripture that I think really will embark again hope, assurance, and joy, the second coming of Christ. And I love the beginning of this vision that John gets. 
You see, the focal point for John and the focal point for us isn't so much the events that were, are going to unfold, but the person who is there, right? And John says that this person, Jesus Christ, is doing what? He is riding on a white horse. Notice what he says in verse 11, the first part. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, the word behold there is a command. It's, it's, it's pay attention, right? Take notice, behold, a white horse. Now, the white horse is important because uh, it's the picture of like a, a Roman general who has conquered a, a battle and they, they would get on a white horse and they would ride through uh, the village or the city, the town. And here we are seeing that, that this white horse represents what? It represents victory. So think about it like this. Jesus is coming to the earth again, but not with all his glory veiled as he did in his first advent. He is coming, revealing all of His glory, all of His power as what? The mighty warrior. That is who He is. He is a mighty warrior. At His first coming, Jesus rode in on a donkey. Now He rides in on what? A white horse. Why? Because He's victorious. And the beauty is, the victory has already been won. How? When? In His cross and resurrection, Jesus won the great victory over the powers of evil and in his second coming, he will execute that victory. He will come to purge all of creation from sin. He will come to destroy the wicked. He will come to overthrow the Antichrist, to bind Satan, to take control of the universe, and to establish himself as King of kings and Lord of lords. In other words, there's a new sheriff in town, right? Praise God for that. And did you notice who's with him? Did you notice that? Verse 14. The scripture says, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Uh, armies is plural, so it represents uh, several uh, groups, if you will, or at least two groups. Think about it like this. When Jesus comes the second time, he's not coming for his bride, the church. The rapture has already happened. He's coming with his bride. That is very, very important. He's coming with his bride, the church, and along with the holy angels, every Old Testament saint, every New Testament saint, and every person who trusted in Jesus as their Savior during the time of tribulation will follow Jesus when he comes again. Jesus will lead the way. And did you notice that the armies, they don't have any weapons, right? We aren't there to fight. We're there to bear witness of Jesus' victory. And when John fixes his eyes on Jesus, the rider on the white horse, we hit some amazing descriptions of who he is. And we're going to look at eight of them very quickly, and then we're going to have some application point. The first description that John gives us is Jesus is faithful and true. He's faithful and true. Verse 11, the second part there, it says, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And praise God that Jesus is forever faithful and forever true. Jesus is faithful because he always keeps his promises, right? He always carries out his Father's will. Even in great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, with the cross staring down at him, what did he say? He said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And this faithful one says what? I am coming again. And so for you and I, we have 100% assurance that what? Jesus Christ is coming again. We also know that Jesus is true. He's authentic. He's genuine. He keeps his word. There's no deceit that is found in him. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, guess what? 
He means every single word. This is the direct opposite of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a manipulator, a liar, and a deceiver. And this one who is true and faithful does what? The second thing that John tells us is that Jesus judges rightly. He judges rightly. Listen, the faithful one, the true one, will judge rightly. The scripture says in the third part of verse 11, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. I love in Acts 17, I don't have this verse on the screen, but Acts 17, 31, it says this, God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And who is this judge? That is the question. Jesus, the one and only Son of God, that is the judge. Jesus came as the Savior, and now he comes as the ultimate judge. When Jesus came the first time, people judged him. But when Jesus comes the second time, he will judge the people. And when he comes to judge and make war, there are no more chances, right? His judgment is final. And notice the righteous judge discernment. What is it that he sees? Verse 12, it says, His eyes are like a flame of fire. This affirms Jesus' ability to see and judge, not just based on what is seen, but the condition of the heart, what is unseen. In other words, there are no secrets. Jesus knows all and he sees all. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4.13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, I encourage you to read further on in chapter 4 of Hebrews, because for us as followers of Christ, that brings a little bit of fear, a little trembling, that, that Jesus uh, is going to expose all things. But don't, don't forget that he is our great high priest, and he has stand, stood in the gap for us. And so we can go to him in our time of need, and he will give us sufficient grace. But the point is, nothing will be hidden from his sight. Nothing escapes his judgment. No injustice will go unpunished. And with his righteous judgment, the scripture says, he makes war. For a long time, God has endured patiently the scoffing, the insults, the sin, and the evilness of Satan and the people in this world, but not anymore. He doesn't come in humiliation and unrecognized. He comes in full ray and fully recognizing, making war with his judgment. Third, we find that Jesus has absolute authority. Absolute authority. The scripture reminds us in the second part of verse 12, and on his head are many diadems. Uh, there are two Greek words that are used to talk about crowns, uh, primarily about crowns. Uh, the first one talks about crowns of achievement or awards. That's the Greek word stephanos. That's not the word that's being used here. Uh, the word that's being year, used here is diadem, which talks about ultimate authority and royalty. In other words, Jesus is the great king, right? Remember the, what the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be what? There will be no end, right? So he has ultimate authority, ultimate royalty. So in the first time when Jesus comes, he comes wearing a crown of thorns. But when he comes again, he will be wearing the crown of ultimate authority. There is not one square inch in all the universe over which he does not say what? It is mine. It is mine. John goes on to say that Jesus has come, or Jesus has a name like no other. Jesus has a name like no other. I love what it says at the last part of verse 12. Uh, the scripture says, And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. 
Man, think about the name of Jesus for just a moment. A name that we love and a name that we, we just cherish. But be reminded that when Jesus came the first time, many cursed the name of Jesus. Many took the name of Jesus in vain. But when he comes again, Jesus is coming again with a name that no one can fully comprehend. What is this name? We don't know for sure. But we know it includes wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, but so much more. The unsearchable riches of the depths of Christ. For all eternity, we will grow in our knowledge and wonder of the greatest name ever given. The name of Jesus Christ. The scripture talks about uh, this next thing here. Jesus conquers his enemies. So we're rattling through these pretty quickly, but I hope uh, we see the beauty of the second coming of Christ. He conquers his enemies. Uh, Verse 13, the first part, it says, He is clothed in in a robe dipped in blood. Now that begs the question, uh, whose blood is this? Well, there's three main possibilities. Uh, Is it Jesus' blood? When he uh, died on the cross for our sins, shed his blood on the cross for our sins, is it the Redeemer's blood? Uh, Or is it the the blood of the martyrs? Uh, In Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, it talks about that. Um, Or is it uh, the blood of God's enemies? Well, I think based on uh, the immediate context and the parallel passages that are found in Isaiah 63 and Revelation 14, uh, I lean more towards that this is the blood of his enemies. Um, it doesn't rob him of the fact that he died on the cross for our sins, but I think this is, this is not about redemption. This is about uh, judgment. And all throughout redemptive history, we see God as what? The mighty warrior, having victory over his enemies. It was the Lord who defeated his enemies and freed his people from the hands of Pharaoh, Right? It was the Lord who defeated his enemies during the great battles of Joshua. It was the Lord who defeated his enemies on the cross. Remember what Colossians 2.15 says. It says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So when Jesus died on the cross, remember, he won a tremendous victory. And when Jesus comes again, he will show once and for all that he has conquered all his enemies. We also see that Jesus reveals God's word. He reveals God's word. Verse 13, the second part there says, And the names by which he is called is the word of God. Uh, When you think about the word of God, uh, you think about the character of God. In other words, Jesus is God's perfect revelation of himself. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know the heart of God, the will of God, the purpose of God, the holiness of God, the power of God, the the character of God, the mind of God, you look to where? You look to Jesus Christ. We saw this passage in Hebrews 1.3, but I think it bears repeating. Uh, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus doesn't come to reflect the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty who is, who was, and who is to come, right? Praise God for that. Seventh, we see that Jesus executes God's wrath. He executes God's wrath. Think about it like this. Because Jesus reveals the holiness of God, all will be judged, and to all those who have rejected him will receive punishment, right? Revelation 19, verse 15. It says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Three symbols of judgment. 
sharp sword, rod of iron, and a wine press. Symbols of judgment that are found in Psalm 2, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 63. Man, what a contrast in Jesus' missions, right? In his first mission, he comes to reconcile those to the Lord, right? Now in his second advent, he comes to execute God's wrath to all those who denied him, right? The rod that was used to shepherd his sheep in correction and comfort will now be used to conform the world to order and to justice. And notice that the only weapon that he uses is what? His holy word spoken from his mouth. His weapon isn't in his hand. His weapon comes from the words that he speaks. The power of God's word is unquestioned and unmatched. And to those who reject Jesus, choose to reject Jesus as Lord, they will experience the wrath of God. Wrath that is eternal. Wrath that is terrible. Wrath that is inescapable. But wrath that is deserved. You see, the warning of God's wrath against sin and evil has gone for a long time. The warning has been casted out for generation after generation. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 2. Verses 10 through 12, the scripture says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son and adorn Him, submit to Him, bow before Him, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. In other words, don't delay. Don't put it off. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. There is only one safe place to be when Jesus comes to execute the wrath of God, and that is refuge in Him, right? There is only one way, and that is Him. And then the scripture talks about the fact that Jesus is exalted over all. He is exalted over all. Revelation 19.16 says this, On his robe, symbolizing his majesty, and on his thigh, symbolizing his power, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus will come to rule nations, rulers, and all people forever. He has no equal. He has no competition. In Jesus' first coming, he came as a humble servant. But when he comes again, he will come as the exalted king. Remember what Paul writes about in Philippians 2, after Jesus humbled himself, uh, being obedient, even obedient to the cross. The scripture says in verse 9, Therefore God has a highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Why? He will bear a name that all people know, King of kings and Lord of lords. So think about the difference between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. The first advent and the second advent. First advent, he rode on a donkey. Second advent, he will ride on a white horse. First advent, he came as a suffering servant. Second advent, he will come exalted over all. First advent, he came in humility and in meekness. Second advent, he will come in majesty and power. First advent, he came to suffer the wrath of God for sinners. Second advent, he will come and execute God's wrath towards sin, sinners, evil, and the evil one. First advent, he, re- he was rejected by many as the Messiah. The second advent, he will be recognized by all as King of kings and Lord of lords. First advent, he came to seek and to save the lost. His second advent, he will come to judge, to rule, and to reign. So what's our application today? Happy New Year, right? Listen, I, this, this message is extremely important. Not only for those who don't know the Lord, but is it extremely important for us who do?
So what is our application this morning? Three words. First word, receive. Receive. Receive Him as your Savior. Listen, you are without excuse. You have no excuse. God's day of grace and patience will one day end. Peter writes about this in 2 Peter 3. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should be to reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It'll come suddenly. This, all this building up things that we get hung up on, listen, Jesus' second coming will come quickly. It will come quickly. And he says, like a thief, and when the heavens, uh, but, but then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be what? They will ex- be exposed. So my question is, why oppose him? Why oppose him? He has made a way for you to be right with God. And there's only one way, and that is through him. So you can choose to be your own God. Listen, you can choose to be your own king. You can choose to be your own Lord on this earth, but make no mistake about it. There's only one God, one king, one Lord, and he will reign for eternity. He will not only come to judge the world, he will come to judge you. Don't delay. Receive him now. Receive him now while you still have time. Second word, rejoice. Rejoice. Listen, for the family of God, for those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, to those of us who are children of God, not by physical birth, but by spiritual birth, we should rejoice. We should rejoice. We have already won the victory. We are already His, and we have nothing to fear. Our hope is in the resurrected Christ who will return for His bride, and when He returns, we will be with Him. Right before this passage that we studied this morning in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 and 10, or 1 through 10, it talks about the great marriage supper of the Lamb when Jesus forever gathers his people, and it's a time of great and unending joy. Revelation 19, the first part of verse 1 Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Second part of verse 5 Praise our God, all you servants, all his servants, you who fear him, shall, uh, small and great. Revelation 19, second part of verse 6 into verse uh, 8. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And then verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, when you receive that great invitation, come follow me, guess what? You will always have a seat at his table. Praise God for that. We have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. So we can rejoice. Even when life is hard and everything looks bleak, because we know that Jesus is coming again, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. And third, remember. Remember. Two ways of this has just convicted me today or this week. One is, uh, we spend, as Christians, we, we can spend a lot of our time, uh, I'll start it off like this. How many of you as a Christian been hurt by somebody else? I should ask a follow-up question. How many of you have been hurt by somebody in this room? No, I'm not going to do that, though. <laughs> so it's pretty confident that there, that's 100%, right? 100% have been hurt by somebody, and most often it's somebody that, that we love or we thought loved us and maybe does love us, but that hurts there, right? 
this idea of remembering, I was reminded of the importance of we don't need to waste our time trying to make all rights or all wrongs right. Right? Let me think about that for just a minute. For some of us, we are being held captive because of the hurts of somebody else that was done to us. And, and we just have this idea that it's up to us to reset the balance in the world. And yet, we are so captive, held captive in bondage to trying to make those wrongs right. Guess what? We will never be satisfied trying to do that. However, what does the scripture tell us? In Romans 12, the scripture says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will pray, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, who's going to make all wrongs right? Jesus is. So I trust that he's going to make all wrongs right. And I just want to encourage you, again, because the second coming of Christ, we have hope, we have assurance, we have joy. Don't let the hurts that you're experiencing or have experienced rob you of those things. Jesus exposes all things and he will judge all things. Right? This doesn't mean that you don't reestablish different boundaries and things like that. I think that's important. But you're not here to make wrongs right. That's Jesus' job, and praise God, he does it. I think the other part is, remember, this is not our home, right? I mean, you think about life for just a moment. Most of our frustration in this world is because this isn't our home, right? We want it to be, but it's not. It's not. Remember, God has prepared a place for those who love him. And oh, what a place it will be. You look to Revelation 21, so two chapters uh, over, the scripture says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. In other words, the chaos and the effects of sin are no longer present. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Praise God that he's coming to us. We're not trying to make it to him, right? Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I think the greatest treasure in heaven is we will experience unending, uninterrupted, undefiled presence with God. I mean, the presence of God is what we so desperately need, and that's what we will have. The scripture says in verse 4, he will wipe every, away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And do you not long for that place? A place where there's no danger, no despair, no disease, no disability, no pain. Just the comfort of our Savior. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I, speaking of the Lord Jesus, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. In other words, take notice, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, so this is Jesus talking to John, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Praise be to God. Praise be to God.
Do you understand now why the second coming of Christ is so, so important? To the one who is faithful and true, to the one who judges rightly, to the one who has absolute authority, to the one who has a name like no other, to the one who conquers his enemies, to the one who reveals God's word, to the one who executes God's wrath, to the one who is exalted over all, to the one who can be received and can be rejoiced in and can be remembered. Praise God. Praise God for King Jesus. I pray that God has opened your eyes to the beauty of the second coming of Christ. I pray that, that if you're here today and you have never received Christ as your Savior, there should be tremendous trembling, tremendous fear, because you have no shot. But in the midst of that, the word of the Lord tells us that we only need the one, and that is Jesus Christ, his Son. So are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty today? Receive Christ as your Lord. Again, as a follower of Christ, do you find yourself today rejoicing? Rejoicing in the fact that Jesus is going to come again. Rejoicing that you have a seat at his table forever. And what a meal that will be. And have you come here today as a follower of Christ, remembering that it's not my job to make all wrongs right. My role is to submit and trust the one who will. Remember, this is not our home.